Welcome to The Informed Life. In each episode of this show, we'll talk with people from different fields to find out how they organize information to get things done. I'm your host, Jorge Arango. My guest today is Kevin M. Hoffman. Kevin is a designer, manager, and author who has led teams of designers both inside and outside of large organizations. In the last few years, he's turned his attention to designing better meetings. And in this episode, we talk about how Kevin's using information to engage with prospects and clients so they can design meetings that add value to their lives. You can find show notes for this episode at theinformed.life. And by the way, if you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes to review or rate it in Apple's podcast directory. This helps other people to find it. Thanks. Today in the show, we have Kevin Hoffman. Welcome, Kevin. Hi, how are you? I'm doing all right. Good. I've known Kevin for a long time, but um, the folks listening to the show might not know you. So why don't you tell us about yourself, Kevin? Sure. Uh, my name is Kevin M. Hoffman. I go by Kevin M. just because at this point, I think there's four or five Kevin Hoffmans in the, in the various platforms, email, um, Twitter. Uh, anytime I speak at a conference, there's two Kevin Hoffmans that always get my replies. And uh, there's another Kevin Hoffman that gets a lot of my emails. One time I applied for a bank account and the bank started emailing him uh, right after I left. And uh, I did not want to do business with that bank anymore because they didn't write my email address down correctly. So I go by Kevin M. And what I do uh, the, these days, what I'm doing is, is taking about two decades plus of experience working in a variety of contexts, but always on a, in a design capacity. So uh, I've worked in nonprofits and in the public sector. I've worked in um, agencies. I've run companies, uh, you know, design consulting agencies. I started a product and I spent the last couple of years working in a large company. Uh, in a Fortune 100 company. And I try to take all of that and I think about specifically this one piece of everyone's work experience, which is meetings. So everybody has meetings, uh, all of our processes, uh, kind of a unit of measure in, in processes meetings. Um, you know, if, if you're a designer and uh, you're part of, you've been part of an agile transformation or you're undergoing that or you're planning one, a big part of that is renaming meetings and, and following kind of a rigid recipe of meetings. And what I do is, is take all this experience I've had and, and things I learned from other people about making meetings do a job that you want them to do and create ways for people to, to assess and measure if meetings are doing a job for them. And if not, get rid of them. And uh, if they are doing a job, uh, help them continue to grow and flourish. Uh, I wrote a book and published it last year about this topic. And these days, what I'm doing is just uh, talking to, to different kinds of clients uh, and doing workshops and helping them develop their own meeting uh, health uh, indexes, kind of a sense of how well the meetings are serving the employees of their companies. Well, that's fascinating. I'm hearing you describe this and thinking about how much our trajectories mirror each other. Yes. Like you... Um, I was recently uh, at a company, and as of last year, I uh, left that company, and I'm also independent. And I also have a book that came out, and I'm in the process of 
um, transitioning from working as part of a team to working uh, kind of on my own and, and being kind of more responsible for things like, uh, like procuring clients and getting things done. Yep. And I'm uh, wondering what that experience is like for you and what uh, role information plays in that process. Yeah, I think the first time I was independent was about seven or eight years ago. And I was really lucky in that I had a couple of former colleagues from working at agencies that had already gone this route of um, going independent and then building uh, teams of contractors to, to undertake design uh, projects. And one of them, a, a guy named Dan Mall, he had already kind of started working this way, and he's worked this way for quite a long time. He has an agency called Super Friendly. It's named after, you know, the, the, the Super Friends, the, the show from, gosh, I want to say the 80s, but I'm, I think it's the 80s. Uh, where all the DC superheroes would come together, and and the concept is that, is of, that the one with the power twins? Yeah, where one takes the form of a bucket of water, and the other one always takes the form of something else. Right. Um, but it seems like a bucket of water is always, and they had a monkey for some reason. I remember that. But anyway, uh, Dan brought me into this world of super friends, which is people who for whatever reason, uh, find themselves relatively senior, experienced in their craft, whatever part of the design process their craft is, whether it's discovery and strategy or uh, UI design or um, you know, front-end development or back-end development, whatever it is. And because certain people just like working together, that's no reason that they have to necessarily form a traditional company. They can just work together when there are problems to solve together. And after spending uh, a couple of years working with Dan and, and other people who worked that way in that context, I decided to just try it out and, and learn uh, how, to, how to really initiate a conversation with someone in any context where you learn about the problem that, that you might be able to help them solve and then um, move that conversation through into some sort of formal agreement. You know, I, the, the, the reason I brought up when I first started is I remember early on uh, a, a colleague of mine who I have deep respect and love for, a woman named Karen McGrain, she referred uh, an RFP to me. Like there was an RFP for a website, for a bank, a small bank. I can't remember the name of the bank. And it was the first time I had ever written a proposal. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to write this proposal. And I'm going to write the best proposal I can write right now, because I'd been writing proposals for a while in agencies. And I'm going to assume I'm not going to get this work, but this is going to become like this. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say cornerstone, but like this uh, go-to document that as I write other proposals, I'll just pull from this master proposal that I wrote. Like a template? Like a template, but it's almost more like, I think of it this way. Uh, one of the things that I do over my career, a, a piece of information uh, that I keep is success stories or portfolio work stories where 
I, I came in uh, to a situation, I performed certain actions, and I observed certain outcomes. And trying to tell those kinds of stories at different levels of Zoom, at different scale, I try to collect those. And I have a, a, a keynote document that has like maybe between 10 and 15 stories in it that are like some of the best stories I've collected over the years. But anytime I send that to a prospective client to say, hey, this is what I do, uh, I might just pick a subset of those stories. But I had to make the master portfolio document it first, you know, and that was that master proposal thing that I made. Sorry, I'm, I'm just very curious about this. It no, like, yeah, interrupt me at will. So it sounds like somebody it's like has a, to. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it's a like a kit of parts or like a, a, a Lego box of sorts where you can build customized or bespoke um, portfolio pieces or, or, or portfolio um, documents based on what you get the sense is most interesting to the prospect. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the one of the things that I've learned in my work is that I think as a designer, I have a desire for the process to be clear and articulated. And in this case, you know, we, we could be talking about the process of, a, of a, a prospective client or just a person you meet, a colleague you meet in some context, their journey from being that to being a, a, either a, a regular client or at least you know, a, a client that you actually help solve some problems and, and work with. And I think what I've found is it's better for me to think about having good collections and not worrying about the process. So I'll give you an example of what I mean. The, this idea of the master proposal uh, I have proposals for workshops. Uh, you know, I do workshops at conferences. Uh, I do between two and four a year these days. And I do work, corporate workshops. But anyway, I'm in the process of booking workshops. I have some master proposals for generally the kinds of content that I teach, the kind of exercises that I help my clients run, and the kind of outcomes that they can expect. But I don't give that to anyone. Um, uh, and, and I'm fortunate enough that I get a, some inquiries. I get a, a, a nice trickle of inquiries via my website or via conferences I've, I've spoken at. People follow up when their budgets are good, whatever. I always follow up that first inquiry, um, however it comes in, with a 30-minute conversation. Because in that conversation, I want to learn for myself if I believe that the, the tools that I teach and the methods and, and the way that I look at this problem, I want to believe that it has the capacity to, to solve a specific problem that that person is having. And it could be as specific as, um, and these are two examples from recent conversations, it could be as specific as we're about to invest a large sum of money in an agile transformation at a big company. and we want to make sure people can run our daily stand-ups well or know how to facilitate a retrospective. And it could be as general as one of my goals for 2019 uh, for my team. You know, I'm a VP of design. I manage between 20 and 50 designers. One of my goals 
is to for us to set an example for uh, what, what a better meeting is in this organization. I feel like our designers aren't as present as they could be, or they're not um, leading the meetings that, that we could be having. So it could just be like, I, we just want it to be better. And in either case, the proposal that I write has to speak to the problem as they understand it. So it's taking that big Uber proposal and then finding out how do they describe their problem and then identifying the methods and, and, and language in my portfolio of, of success stories or in my existing work that fits that problem the way they've described it. And then I go through a, a process where I actually create a Google Doc, ideally a Google Doc, but some sort of cloud-based collaborative document where I, I say, okay, here's what I heard. Here's what I think I would do. Uh, uh, you know, this is a rough estimate of the cost, but first tell me if this will help you evangelize this in your organization. And I'll give them, you know, a week to comment on it, to rewrite it, whatever they want to do. And the, the, the really interesting thing about that part of the process that I've learned lately is that I've had experiences where I've said things that I believe to be true, not necessarily for their, their company, but just universally true. Like, I believe that people think they're better at meetings than they are, right? Uh, I believe that uh, people think of meetings as things that can be done relatively easily. And if we have to have one, we have it and we get through it. And I, I also have the belief that most companies don't make heavy investments in uh, improving meetings in their organization as a serious ongoing effort of organizational change. A prospective client came to me recently. I had some language to that effect about how this isn't a, a common investment. And it turns out it had recently been a big investment they had made and what they had tried wasn't working. And had I not known that, had I not had that step in the process for them to tell me, oh, this language is reminding us of the fact that we've already spent money on this and it didn't work and, and retailored the language to say, this is why this might work where your previous efforts didn't work. I might've alienated some uh, person signing a check somewhere. I want to read back what I'm hearing you say with regards to the proposal. And I want to circle back afterwards to the, the actual process of, of keeping track of these conversations. But, but, yep. but for the moment, let's stay with this proposal. Um, it sounds like there's two parts to this. One is having the, the kind of kit of parts that uh, allows you to assemble a proposal for a prospect. And the other is um, placing those parts in a sort of sandbox, in this case, Google Docs, that allows you to collaboratively create the final thing with the prospect. Is that uh, a fair reading? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that one of the interesting things that I've observed in working in design and process is this idea of working in the open. You know, I've been on a couple of teams where they've put into their contracts with their clients that they mandate uh, an open process. Either they blog the process as it happens, or they mandate an open design process, meaning the process as it happens in real time is documented. These days, GitHub and, and, and you know, obviously cloud-based things like Dropbox and Box are good for that. But via the web, there's an evolving project story. I, I feel like it fundamentally... Uh, 
maybe not explicitly, but at a deep level, implicitly, requires trust for both parties. And if I do that at the proposal stage, if I say, look, we're going to work in the open, in the open as far as you and I are concerned. So I'm going to give you a document. Anyone in your organization can read it and change it. And I'm going to be reading it and changing it as well. Um, you know, responding to your comments, not agreeing with everything you say, but just, you know, helping get, helping us get to know you. The benefit of that is it gives me a sense and it gives them a sense of what it's like to work together. So if at any point I or they feel like, oh, the way our dialogue is going, we're not speaking the same language or, or there aren't really problems here that I think I'm going to be able to help you solve or whatever it might be, um, it's, it's, it's a lower cost way of getting there and fewer meetings because all of this comes out of a, anything from a 15 to 30 minute initial conversation. That's such an important insight, right? Like the idea that these documents are not just, they don't just exist for their own sake, but they're also kind of a dry run for the process of working together. Yeah. I'm curious when you say working in the open, that sounds very enticing to me. This notion of showing your work and co-creation is something that I say is something that I've aspired to in my work. I have not always been successful at it. And, and part of the reason I haven't been as successful in some cases as I would have liked to is that I have found that the openness. So if you open something up, if you open a collaboration process up to just anybody, you might get a lot of voices that are uh, not invested in the outcome in mm -hmm. some way, and it could derail the conversation, right? If everyone does not have the same outcomes in mind, or if you're not working together towards the same outcomes. In the case of the proposal, it sounds like you're working with a very specific group of people, but does this ever extend to a larger group within the organization, or, or do you keep it to your, your prospect and perhaps a select few others? In my experience, for this specific process, what I have found over the years is that if I keep it to a smaller group and allow that group to advocate for the value they see in working with me and working together, it also gives me a little bit of information about what their position or a capability of creating consensus is within their organization. I mean, if I'm cynical, there's always a process of finding where am I having a conversation with someone who actually is is a, a signer on a budget, you know, somebody who is actually making a decision about a particular budget. So it's always a good sign. And I generally ask pretty early in the process, do you have a specific budget that you're thinking about for investing in this problem? Because I have relatively predictable rates within a range. But if you have a specific budget that you're thinking about, I know what it takes for me to do the work. I can write a proposal pulling from those Lego pieces that is more tailored to a specific budget if I have to. I don't often find that's the case now, but earlier when I was doing really large-scale projects with teams of upwards of nine or 10 people that I would hire, that was more often the case where I would have to be creative um, within usually six-figure budgets. I would say more often than not, like 
a budget between 100K and 500K and try to really solve a problem within a, a constraint that somebody really had. But now if I'm talking to somebody early on in, uh, as an individual consultant, I don't build teams to do the work that I do at this point. And they say something like, oh, we have to pause the conversation because the person who would make the decision about the budget is on vacation. That tells me who else I need to bring into the document conversation. And I would say so far in my new consulting practice, my relatively nascent practice, I would say more than half the time I'm speaking to somebody in a position who's managing a budget. But when I'm not, it's usually somebody who's really motivated by the problem and has a connection. I haven't had an experience where somebody's like, I really want to talk to you and invite you to come help my organization with this thing. But I, I don't have any connection with any budget and I can't pay you. <laughs> you know, that hasn't happened yet. Yeah, but those folks are likely to not even initiate the conversation, right? Sure. If they're not going to have a project. Yeah. I love this idea of the Google document as a sort of, I don't know if it's fair to call it, like a catalyst for this conversation to happen that surfaces all this information about the team, you know, the team for you and you for them, right? So it's a, a way to uh, get to know each other and see if the fit is right. I'm wondering what other tools you use as part of this process in particular. It sounds like you have um, multiple conversations going sometimes. You talked about you know, speaking at conferences and mm -hmm. having folks who have uh, read your book and reach out. And how do you keep track of all these different conversations so that you know where things are at? So I generally, like if we think of the journey of a, of a sales lead, Things generally start either uh, via my site, my website, kevinmhoffman.com, where you know it says on the site pretty plainly, if you'd like me to come do a workshop for your organization, contact me and my email's right there. Or I do a workshop at a conference. Somebody who's representing an organization has that experience. I explicitly say, I customize this workshop if I do it for your organization. And they reach out to me uh, within, I don't know, anywhere from a week to, to a couple of months. Um, it depends on where people are in their various budget cycles and you know, if, their budget, if they're at the beginning of a budget and they have a lot of flexibility or that they're at the end of a budget cycle and they're trying to spend down or, or whatever it may be. So anytime I think about a journey, and I know earlier I said, you know, designers like to have this clean process. Uh, the a metaphor that comes to mind is this, uh, we're talking about super friends earlier. There was also this cartoon thing called um, Schoolhouse Rock. And the one that I remember, and I imagine a lot of people who know what Schoolhouse Rock is remembers, is the one about a bill. Uh, I'm just a bill sitting here on Capitol Hill and how that bill goes on a journey to become a law. So the first thing I do to keep track of, of my uh, potential clients is I try to keep a list. It's messy, but I try to keep a list in a couple of different places. So I, I have a, a big whiteboard in my office. There is the mega list for the week that I'm constantly erasing and rewriting. And as a lead becomes viable, so here's an example of a viable lead. Uh, I do a workshop with uh, uh, at a at a conference. Um, somebody comes up. To me and, and, and personally says, I really enjoyed that. 
I would be curious about having you do this at my company. What do I do? I say, well, let's set up some time to talk. They reach out to me. We actually have a conversation. In that conversation, I'll make a commitment to getting them a proposal pretty rapidly, um, usually within anywhere from 24 to 48 hours. And that proposal is just that thing that I pull, you know, different parts of what I've done for other people. I pull in what I think feels right. So the, the whiteboard list, uh, that's one place that stuff lives. Now, let's say I'm in the mode of, um, of meeting people at a conference. And if I do a workshop at a conference, I might meet all the attendees in my workshop, but I also might do something like a book signing or, or I might just meet people at lunch or, or you know, over coffee at a break or whatever. I keep a running list of action items in a very messy way across a couple of different platforms. I really like BearNote. Uh, there are two things about BearNote that I like. One, I like that it's kind of a cloud of notes. You can have no uh, taxonomy of how you structure uh, and organize content, but it's very easy, like Google, to find things. So the interface of BearNote is basically a search field. And if you type into the search field and nothing comes up, it turns actually into a title field. So I can actually click on a button and start a note with that title. BearNote is an app, right? Yeah, it's an app. It's a Mac OS app, but it syncs via iCloud. And I just constantly make these notes. If I'm in a meeting, I transcribe my meeting notes in there. I, I focus on action items. They have a nice little to-do list. They use Markdown uh, to create checkboxes. And, and if you're comfortable writing in Markdown, which is a way of adding formatting to text, if you're comfortable with that, BearNote does a good job of rendering it in, in a nice way. So I have BearNote kind of syncing on my phone. I, I meet somebody from a company like IBM. They're like, hey, we might want to have you come do a lunch and learn at some point. I'll, I'll quickly add that to the stream of BearNote that, that lives in my life. Occasionally, um, I might add it to a, uh, use something like Google Keep. Um, I've bounced back and forth between Google Keep and um, uh, Apple's uh, you know, notes app for lists, but usually those are more like grocery lists and like doctor things and, and personal things. Like most of my professional life lives in, in this stream of bear notes that I, that I, uh, I had. When I was at Capital One, I basically installed bear note on my locked down Capital One system on day, day one, found out that they didn't allow iCloud syncing uh, because of uh, regulations around uh, large banks mm -hmm. and, you know, had to decide, okay, where am I going to take most of my notes and carry that device with me at all times? So um, that's how I keep track of what conversations I had with whom. Then they make their way onto the whiteboard when they become viable. Once they're on the whiteboard, they become Google Docs. And I'm, you know, looking at, okay, what are the recent Google Docs that I've been editing in, watching for comments to come in or, or edits to come in from uh, prospective clients and responding to them in real time. So those become very high priority pieces of content for me when a proposal is, a, is in an active state or a live state. And then the, the next thing I do is basically establish follow-up steps. So I'm going to reach out to you by this date 
with these questions. You know, uh, you had said, okay, the next step is when so and so gets back from vacation, um, we're going to uh, share this with the, the executive vice president, get approval on this budget. So, you know, that's the next step in the bill becoming a law is uh, getting it past that approval step. Then, do you, yeah, uh, do, do you somehow mark the next steps on the whiteboard? Like, how do you keep track of that? Uh, I, the whiteboard is really only the next thing I have to do for the person. So the whiteboard is usually oh. like, you know, write, write proposal client name. And if the proposal is in a live state, it would be like um, sign, you know, get signed uh, work agreement or send, um, you know, uh, standard working agreement over or whatever. The legalese stuff is is always. I, I, f I found that that's usually pretty boilerplate, but there's always something that goes back and forth in that process of, you know, something about intellectual property or something about work for hire or or you know, there's some aspect of it. Uh, in some projects that I was talking about where we've worked in the open, that's become an issue. Where if I'm doing a large scale team size project, and we say, oh, we want to blog this process for your community. As we finish things, we're going to put up posts and link people to the design work. You know, some people uh, have concerns about that being something their competitors would get a leg up on them from. And uh, I have opinions about that, but that's not what this is about. <laughs> <laughs> this is fantastic, Kevin. I'm, I'm so excited. I think I'm going to start a whiteboard of my own, like the one that you're describing, because what I heard you say and um, the, the thing that excites me about it is that it sounds like you have this process where you initiate a conversation in physical space with a person, right? You're talking at a conference or in a workshop and you follow up or the next step is moving a record of that conversation to this digital space with bare notes. And then, um, you know, you, you follow up with those folks. And eventually, if they make it to the next stage, they move out of digital space again onto a physical space to this whiteboard. And then from there, they move to another digital space, which is uh, Google Doc. So yeah. it's, like this, uh, it's like the process goes in and out of, of your digital domains uh, as it moves, like the bill going through Congress. Yeah. This is fabulous, and it's been uh, really insightful. Where can folks go to follow up with you and find out more? Uh, sure. So Kevin M. Hoffman is the fastest way to get a hold of me. Kevin M. as in michaelhoffman.com. Uh, Kevin W. Hoffman is not me on Twitter. Kevin Hoffman on Twitter is not me. Kevin M. Hoffman on Twitter is me. Uh, my book is obviously out. Uh, it's been, almost been out for, uh, it's coming up on a year. And uh, you can always get a hold of me through the publisher, uh, Rosenfeld Media. The book's called Meaning Design for Managers, Makers, and Everyone. So the idea is that um, the, the title comes from this idea that we think of meetings as either being the domain of, of uh, you know, people who are leading the meetings, usually managers, but uh, there's this idea that you know, we're all citizens of meetings. And there's different ways. If I'm somebody who is responsible for making the thing, that there's ways to be a citizen of a meeting to participate. And if I'm responsible for running the meeting, there's ways to do it. Um, but it's kind of like thinking about all angles. How do you make them work? 
It's basic literacy for anyone who has to collaborate with anyone else, basically. Yeah. So it's, it's fantastic that you've uh, written this book. And uh, congratulations, because it's been well-received. Oh, thanks. Yeah. It's the thing I wanted. Like, I wanted to have this book. When I graduated from graduate school and I went into the workforce, first it was in like public uh, libraries and, and colleges. I, I, I was in these meetings. I didn't know what, what they were for and, and how they connected to our mission and what my role was. And I just wish I had like, I, I wished I had had a manual of how to, be, how to connect to this, this stream of information that's happening in our work. Um, so that's why I wrote it. So hopefully there's a version of me that won't have to deal with what I had to deal with. Well, and, and so many more of us will also be able to benefit from your teachings on this subject. And um, on that note, I want to thank you for your time today, because we will also benefit from what you've told us today. That's how we all figure it out, right? We all yep. share the ideas and hopefully somebody avoids some mistakes. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much, Kevin.